Hello, my love, and welcome to this messy, beautiful life, the podcast. My name is Erin, and I am so, so happy to have you here. I'm a coach and mindset mentor, a recovering overthinker, an imperfect human on a journey of growth, joy, and healing, and I'm inviting you along for the ride. This podcast will explore concepts of self-development, spirituality, and harnessing our brain-body-soul connection for powerful growth and healing. It's my intention to use this space to change the narrative that says, if you are healing, you are broken, because it's just simply not true. The way I see it is that growth and healing is at the heart of us continuing to rise and evolve as humans. So if you are someone on a journey of personal growth and healing, whether it be right at the beginning or currently leveling up and really living the fact that the inner work is never truly done, then you're in the right place. And so my love, let's learn, grow, share and raise our consciousness together through the power of vulnerability and storytelling. I'm so ready for this and I hope you are too. So let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to This Messy, Beautiful Life, the podcast. I am so excited to have another beautiful guest to share with you today, the lovely Jackie coming to us from British Columbia in Canada. Hello, Jackie. Hello from all the way over here in Canada. (laughs) Unless your listener is in Canada, then hello to my neighbor. Yay! Now, Jackie, you are an emotional freedom techniques practitioner and you also have a BA in counselling. And I'm so excited to talk about this because tapping is something that I am so keen to know more about. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about you, about all of the wonderful work that you do and also about tapping in particular. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you and all of your beautiful listeners So EFT tapping, it's actually emotional freedom techniques is the big mouthful. And because it's such a mouthful, we like to shorten it to EFT, or it's more commonly called tapping, which is, uh, it's commonly called that because you tap on your body with your own fingertips. And so we'll get into that, I'm sure later, but (laughs) I discovered tapping at a time in my life when I was really actually woo skeptical. So tapping has been around for over 40 years. And it has some incredible research. Actually, one of the leading global researchers is out of Australia. Her name is Dr. Peta Stapleton. Yeah, she's an incredible woman. So definitely look her up. But it's been around for over 40 years and yet only really studied in a scientific, you know, really peer reviewed, um, taken seriously kind of way only for about 20 years. And I'm a woo skeptical person. I'm just one of those people that's like, look, if I can understand it, I feel safer with it. But if it's going to sound a little too out there, I'm like, no, I'm good. I've got my being counseling. I love psychology. And so I wasn't willing to even try it when I first was introduced to it. I thought it sounded very weird to talk (laughs) about your thoughts and your feelings while tapping on your body. Like how (laughs) weird. So the reason I was finally willing to give it a try is truly because I started to read about it and I'm very cerebral. I like to understand things. I've inadvertently become this go-to gal for the science behind tapping because even though I don't run any of the studies myself, I just really am kind of obsessed with understanding it. And I really love to see, you know, clinical data for actual results. Mm -hmm. So that being said, the understanding of it was only part of the equation. Then there's also the experience of it. And I tell this story about my very first 
experience with tapping was in a bathroom stall where I was rage tapping for myself when I really didn't know how to use the tool, but I was just (laughs) so, have you ever been like a 12 out of 10 upset about something? Yep. Regularly. (laughs) (laughs) You have a toddler, so you'll know. (laughs) But very much less so now, fortunately, but very much so. Yes. I do know what that feels like. Yeah. It's that emotional reactive state that sometimes we get into. And so I was in a public place. I needed to calm down and I remembered tapping. And I, like I said, I honestly actually didn't really know much about it, but I went into the public bathroom stall and I just sort of banged on my own body and, you know, out loud kind of muttered some things to myself under my breath. So if anyone was in that bathroom with me, (laughs) they probably were wondering what I was doing. And not very, this doesn't happen all the time with tapping. Of course, there's a variety of experiences, but I had one of those really transformative experiences the very first time I used the tool. So I went from this like 12 out of 10, super emotionally reactive triggered state right down to a zero very quickly. And only a matter of, I, I, I don't know, cause time kind of stands still, when yeah. you're doing something like that, but it couldn't have been more than two minutes. I mean, I was in the bathroom stall, so I wasn't making myself comfortable <laughs> in any way. And uh, I also, in addition to literally feeling better, like calmer and centered, you know, my pulse slowed down. I stopped stress sweating. Uh, I also got insight into what had upset me so much in the first place. Mm. And it was so not connected to what I thought it was about. Right. So there's like what happens on the outside externally. And then there's what's really happening inside of us. And so much is stored in the limbic system and that emotional part of our brain in that subconscious part of our mind, which is 95% of how our mind works. And so the tool, my experience with it, it captivated me and Mm. I became I suppose, obsessed with using it for myself. Like I said, not all of my experiences, in fact, very few of my experiences have been that transformative. I mean, that was just right out of the gate, how Mm. it worked out for me, but I'm so grateful it did because it helped me to experience the transformative power of the tool itself. And then I went on this journey of using it for myself for a few years and then eventually becoming certified. So I can use this tool to help other people. So that's the short version of what I do professionally. I mean, we could talk forever about (laughs) personal lives, but I don't think that's what we're here for today. (laughs) No, but tell us, tell us, I do want to come back to a few of the points that you made there, but tell us a little bit about your life outside, because, you know, that is this whole podcast. It's all about our messy, beautiful life and how we get this elusive balance, which I think doesn't really exist, but you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I'd love to know more about my guests and I'm sure the listeners do too. So, yeah, I mean, the elusive balance, I love how you said that, because really, I heard someone talk about this a long, long time ago, they talked about the fulcrum of life or the, like how life is, if you look at life on a balance beam and like the fulcrum, if I remember correctly from like grade seven science, (laughs) I think the fulcrum is like the little thing underneath the balance, like the teeter totter, but it moves depending on how much weight is on one side. And so it's always helped me. I probably learned that 20 years ago. It's helped me to remember that sometimes we need to focus our attention more in one area. So we move the fulcrum of our focus over there. 
And then that's actually how we achieve balance. It's not doing all the things equally. Um, so, you know, I'm a mom of two kiddos right now, they're 10 and 12. And right now in Canada, we're actually on spring break. So the fulcrum of my life moves from my professional life to my family Mm. life while we're on spring break. Um, my husband broke his leg recently and needed surgery. And so for seven weeks, the fulcrum moved to, I was the sole driver for our family. Yeah. And for me, it's been really important to learn tools and, Uh, the practice of self-compassion and stress management and emotional regulation, those three things. I'm 44. And so in midlife, which I really prefer to refer to as like a stage more than an age, but (laughs) it generally is like 35 and up. And so if someone's not relating to anything I say, it's like, don't worry, you'll get there eventually. (laughs) But in midlife, it's like you start to, you know, you sneeze and you hurt your back. Or you roll over in bed and get up the wrong way. And like, suddenly your neck is out for the rest of the day. I think the body has, is often doing so much to support us, even though we are not listening to her for the first, maybe few decades of our lives. Yeah. And so for me, you know, the last few years has been a time of learning to actually unlearn patterns from the past, like perfectionism. Um, I don't think in general, I've been much of a people pleaser. If anything, the patterns that I learned in my childhood was like, you need to take care of yourself because you can't Mm. count on anyone else to do it. Mm. So it's been a lot of unlearning core beliefs that they always, our core beliefs are formed out of self-protection in childhood. So they're always about survival. They're always about taking care of ourselves to the best of our ability when we're young. But what was once adaptive, it often becomes maladaptive later in life. And so this last little bit for me has been, you know, unlearning old Mm. once adaptive patterns that really helped me when I was younger and then unlearning those so that I can move into this next stage of life in a different way, instead of just repeating the same pattern. Brene Brown says like we clench our butt cheeks in midlife and we can keep (laughs) going the way we were or we can soften. And so I really love, um, softening and unfolding a little bit Mm. it's um I think it is that you know that you know they say your life begins at 40 or whatever and it kind of sounds like this big cliche (laughs) thing but I know for me like when I think about my transformation and I'm 41 um and I I, my daughter's only 17 months so I was an older mom geriatric Mm -hmm. (laughs) pregnancy but that's that's over 35 (laughs) so you know fortunately no one dared to say it to me um but you know I, I think that I think about my own transition and my own change and my own healing and there is definitely something about the collision of motherhood and of being at a certain age and having lived certain experiences and I love how you describe it though as like you know some people are like oh 40 and it's like actually it's pretty awesome because mm-hmm. there are some mm-hmm. things that become really clear that weren't before it can be terrifying when you realize these things that you've been carrying that were like you said beautifully once protective but really haven't been serving you for some time but there's also such freedom in just beginning to accept who you are. Well, that's what I've experienced anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's like this reconnection Mm. with ourselves and uh, it's incredibly powerful for sure. I've heard someone, I think I saw this 
in uh, on TikTok, actually, someone shared it with me. Now I'm not a TikToker. I'm 44, <laughs> so I don't do a whole lot on I've TikTok. I've never been on TikTok. I have a confession. <laughs> no, I haven't either. But someone sent this to me, and it was so funny, and also actually so true. So I don't know if we're allowed to swear on your podcast. Yes, please. Yes. Okay. So because I can certainly clean it up, but I really loved how this woman, who obviously was 40 plus, she said it's like the 40s are a time when you start to put down those fucks, right? So you don't run out of all the fucks all at once. It's yeah. not like you suddenly are all out of fucks, but you start to, you know, decide, do I really want to carry this fuck? <laughs> like maybe exactly. I'll just put this fuck down. Yeah. And then you leave it there and you look at it and you're like, that actually is okay to put that one down. And so it's Brene Brown, she, she describes it as a midlife unraveling. So whether mm. we're putting down our fucks or unraveling, I don't really care how we describe it, but it is this time of it has to be an intentional choice. Yeah. I do think that we have to partner with life, mm. but you kind of hit this point where you get to decide, am I going to continue in the direction I was going with those patterns that were once adaptive, but now are maladaptive? Like, do I want to continue doing those things or do I want to let them go and learn a new way of being myself for myself and also for the people that I love and I care about. And then also for the world, frankly. But one thing I want to make sure I say, in case your listeners are women, um, there is this, this myth or lie that we've been sold that we have to put on our own oxygen masks so that we can put on, like help someone else put on theirs. And it's that so that part that really grates on me. It's mm. like as women, it's, we only put on our own oxygen mask. We only breathe mm. to help others. Mm. Now I'm not at all saying that that's not a noble reason to do it. I mean, of course I, my, my very profession literally exists to help other people. Yeah. So I'm all for that. However, you also are worthy of breathing. Yeah. Like it's okay. You have permission to simply put on your own oxygen mask. The yeah. end. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, that. yeah, even that. on learning these core beliefs, like these old patterns, it's worth doing, even if it's just for yourself. Yes. Oh, 100%. I love that. Cause I've been, you know, I've been really figuring out how to put on my oxygen mask first. <laughs> that's been something that's been front of mind for me, but I love that little nuance of it to say that doesn't have to be the reason for other people. Mm-hmm. You are enough. You are yeah. good enough reason. And that's yes, you that. are a good enough reason. That's right. Yeah. And Uh, And again, not to say that it's not, you know, that we don't want to take care of other people, but sometimes you just want to breathe Yeah, and that that's okay. Yes, that is absolutely okay. (laughs) I love it. So, oh, there's so much in what you've said, um, just going back to, you know, when your introduction and there's so much that you said that, that I love that really strongly resonates with me. So I love that you're you are a woo, a woo skeptic I love that you bring together and we're so curious about the science behind these things because I personally you know five years ago was way more woo skeptic than once I was quite an intuitive kid and I was really curious and like I was into crystals and all of that sort of stuff but it was grown out of me pushed out of me whatever like society conditioned out of me over time yes so yeah, I've always is a good word yeah mm-hmm. I've always had this part of me but it, it's been a coming back to it 
But I know that there are a lot of people that are skeptical and I 100% respect that. Like no one has to believe what I believe. That's fine. But I also really love that there is so much more science and so much more research behind this now that says actually the things that have been often such ancient beliefs throughout cultures are now actually being proven that they do have benefits beyond just feeling right. Um, So, you know, the more people like you there are in the world that can help break down the mystery and explain that to people. And for me, it's about open, opening up access to people. And you said something just Mm -hmm. before about basically I'm paraphrasing, but the better we are as individuals, the better the broader world will be. And so mm-hmm. for me, yes. knowing that what works for each of us is so individual and there are so many unhealed, hurting people that is impacting the broader world, the more access, the more exposure, the more we can bring a broad range of therapeutic modalities into the world, to me, that's just ideal. I couldn't agree more. I fully um Yes. Like that just makes me sing. Like, I love (laughs) to hear you talking about how like it's unpacking the mystery a little. And I think that the woo thing, if we use that word, I mean, really we have been conditioned at least over here in the Western world, we're taught Mm. to really to trust your brain over your intuition or your gut. So I, that's where I think that woo skeptical part of me probably lived. Yeah. Um, And I probably do still tend to be a little woo skeptical in general and And that's okay, okay, but I've also described as moving from woo skeptical to woo curious. And now (laughs) I'm like, I call it woo adjacent (laughs) because I do think that, personally, I never want to understand everything about the world. Mm -mm. I actually think that we need awe and wonder and yes, a little mystery in this incredible world that we live in, in in these human bodies and in our souls. Like there is going to always be something that is unexplainable about being human and about our connection with each other and with this world. So I definitely am comfortable with that and also understand that sometimes we feel safer and it makes a tool more accessible when we have some understanding or can measure some kind of a result rather rather than just a qualitative report. So qualitative being, you know, I feel better, right? I moved from a 12 out of 10 in my rage tapping episode to a zero, (laughs) right? But if I had actually been hooked up to a functional MRI machine, you would have seen um, changes in my brain waves. And if they could have measured my cortisol through my blood in that moment or my saliva, um, you would see an actual measurable reduction in my cortisol. An hour of tapping has been shown to regulate 72 genes. So we have now that quantitative data as well that gives even more credibility to the qualitative data that we've had for over 40 years as people have been using EFT tapping and experiencing the benefits. So I agree. I think accessibility is really the intention. Mm. And so if the explanation makes it more accessible for people, then I'm all for it. Let's just keep explaining. Yes. Yeah. I I love that. Did you find, so one of the things that I've been talking about, I can see your poochie in the background. So cute. (laughs) Yeah. There's my little pupper. She's saying hello. (laughs) Hello. Um, 
So one of the things that I've been thinking about and was having a conversation with another guest um, just the other day is about this notion of, like, for me, I am a big believer in therapy in, you know, I've had a therapist for quite some time. It took me a while to find one that really worked for me. Um, we also yeah, see a family. So we also see a family therapist as a well, mostly as a couple. Bella's there, but she doesn't get it yet. Um, you know, and I'm a massive believer in that. But when I think about my own healing, I also know that there was limitation. There has been limitations to that for me. It's only got me so far, and it's only been yeah. since I've been exploring a broader range of options and really experimenting what works for me you know right from you know meditation mindfulness much more mindful movement um, to energy healing a whole range of things so I guess I'm interested in your thoughts on that given you do have you know both kind of pieces to both strings to your bow I guess oh I love that yes (laughs) well I mean really that is why I didn't pursue a counseling uh practice professionally. Mm. For me personally, um, first of all, I agree with you. I actually see a psychologist myself occasionally. And honestly, frankly, just because I pay her to be my friend, like she's an (laughs) incredible person. And I always leave our time together, uh, receiving something that helps me to become more me and more accepting or so whether I'm in a crisis or not, I still go. It's so beneficial. So I fully want to be clear that if you have a therapist that you love, keep going to that person. Or if you don't, but you'd like that support, keep trying a person out until you find that right fit. Cause you're right. That's so important. Yeah. And, and yet for me professionally, like for me to help people, I just always felt hmm, kind of boxed in with what you could do. Now I took my degree over probably, I haven't done the math, but about 20 years ago, just over 20 years ago. So back then, I mean, there really wasn't much talk about EMDR or EFT tapping or some of these other somatic tools that you can use now. Um, So I think maybe if I had been exposed to that 20 years ago, I might've been more interested in continuing in that direction. But at the time it was predominantly talk therapy. Yeah. And talk therapy has its place, but it also has its limitations. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the main therapies that EFT tapping is measured against for results in the clinical studies that they do. And that's because CBT is one of the gold standard therapies that are out there. You know, it's been studied, it's been proven to work and it does. I've personally done it. You know, it has its benefits. Uh, and it has its limitations. So in one study they did, uh, the study was, if I remember correctly, just off the cuff, I think the study was on anxiety mm-hmm. and it was a pretty broad study of, uh, th- I think it was 5,000 people. And so they studied um, the results in to see the difference between EFT tapping and CBT and the EFT tapping results, 90% of people experienced an improvement in their anxiety symptoms uh, within three sessions wow. of EFT. And it took 15 sessions of CBT for the same result. So it's not to say that the CBT wasn't effective, no. but EFT tapping worked five times faster. And mm. I think we all want to feel better faster if we yeah. can. And the reason it works faster, well, one of the reasons 
is because it is a somatic tool, meaning it works with the body. Mm. So it's that mind body connection that we really aren't taught. And we, we do, we become very disconnected from ourselves. We become disembodied heads <laughs> trying to avoid all of our feelings yep. and white knuckle our thoughts and try to force that toxic positivity. And then the result is actually quite a bit of illness, yeah. uh, whether it's physical illness, which actually is a thing, right? Yep. The connection between our emotional health and our physical health. But even um, quote unquote illness in our relationships or including our relationship with ourselves. Mm. So spiritual illness. And I mean, you even mentioned the connection um, with earth, right? Like just it, there's, there is a real cost to being disembodied heads. And so I don't even remember why we're talking about this, but <laughs> I've gone off on a beautiful tangent, a beautiful tangent. I love that. Like I've often described myself as, you know, without even realizing it, I was just a head floating on my body, you know, and I yes. was yes. so caught up in my thinking, so paralyzed by it was anxiety thinking. But now I also know that it was trauma. It's trauma from mm-hmm. my childhood that had become so deeply ingrained in my thought patterns that every time I would think about something, I would be re-traumatizing myself and not yes. even realizing the things that were triggering me. But also like when you talk about like that, you know, that rage, that 12 out of 10 feeling, no understanding of what a dysregulated nervous system was, no understanding that that was all of that trauma still sitting in my body that would just come back to the surface. And so, you know, I love this and I, you know, I'm all about this body, mind, soul connection. And I love that tapping is it's a very visible connection because it is, you are physically doing it. And I think I know for myself, like even like once upon a time, I would have said, I don't meditate. I can't meditate. My mind's too busy. Right. I now know that's not actually a problem as such. There's ways of managing that, but I do things like visualization meditation that my creative brain loves and actually allow me to go deep into that meditative state. So I see tapping as another beautiful way of, I guess, physically distracting myself in and and I'm I said to you before we hit the record button I haven't done a lot of tapping I've done a little bit but I know the little bit that I've done I loved that very physical connection that I knew was was relating to the both but just that very the real physicality of it yeah I mean you're actually doing something I um like you um with meditation the way I've learned to meditate for myself that works really well for me is I meditate while I'm hiking with my dog Mm. so it's like walking meditation it's a very active form but for me to sit and try to empty my mind of my thoughts and watch my thoughts go by like the clouds in the sky you know it maybe someday come back to me in 10 years maybe that new version of Jackie will be like (laughs) yes that is how I do it now but no, that, that really, for me, it's, um, and actually it has been shown that just like the, I think it's called bipedal movement. It's this movement of moving your arms and your legs and the rhythmic part of that yeah. and how it connects mm. with your brain. Like even as I'm speaking right now and, and mimicking it, it to you in the video, <laughs> you know, it, it really does regulate the nervous system as you're doing that. And so I agree. I think that there's so much trauma that is 
unprocessed, whether we're talking big T trauma or little T trauma, which is something that a lot of people, myself included at the time, like, you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have really related as much to the idea of trauma because Mm. I was thinking only of big T trauma. Yes. But when we're children, the brain is always developing from the ground up, like from the bottom up. Mm. And so the limbic system develops before the prefrontal cortex. And what that means is that whatever happens to us as children is filtered through the lens of, am I safe? Do I belong? We know children are very egocentric. What does this mean about me? We make up stories about whatever's happening as though we're the center of the universe. Then the brain continues to develop. And we get that access to the prefrontal cortex, right? So that's where like perspective and problem solving and logic really lives. And so one of the things I hear most from my clients in my practice is my childhood really wasn't that bad. Yeah. And that's what we say as adults who understand that for the most parts, our parents hopefully did the best that they could with what they had at the time with their own unprocessed trauma, with their own limitations. That's what we say as adults, we're looking back with the prefrontal cortex and saying, you know, I can see that with a different perspective through a different lens, but that is not how we experienced our childhoods. Yeah. And the experience of your childhood gets stored in your limbic system. And that's why you could end up in a public scenario at a 12 out of 10 in a public (laughs) bathroom stall needing a tool like tapping because then something's going to happen in life Mm. this happens actually um in case you have any mothers out there they maybe you'll relate to this my two kids it used to be that when they would fight I felt so triggered by them fighting I mean let's be honest if children fighting is terrible no matter what yes as if we need any more stimulation in our homes Mm -hmm. and they're the people that we love the most. So when they're unkind to each other and we're responsible for teaching them, there's so many layers to that. Yes. And underneath of all of that, one of the reasons why I was having such an emotional reaction to it. And I learned this through tapping, actually one time my kids were fighting and instead of reacting to them, I let them fight. And I literally just tapped for myself in my kitchen and I just tapped on the points that don't take too long for you to learn from hopefully a practitioner. So you make sure, cause there is a thing called sham points. They've studied this. If you're not tapping on the correct points, you don't get the same results. Yeah, right. so It doesn't take long to learn those, but it is important to tap on the correct points. So I was tapping on those points. I was just saying some things like, I'm okay. This isn't about me. They're just normal kids. I'm safe. What is this really about? Mm. I just started asking myself a few questions and it didn't take very long for me to see the connection between what I was experiencing. It was like I was re-experiencing the adults in my home fighting from when I was a kid. Right. So that's an example of little T trauma, right? Like, again, it's kind of... (laughs) normal for adults yeah. to fight in some way in the yeah home. I mean again hopefully in a way that's a little tea trauma kind of a yeah way, yeah right but I mean my husband and I argue sometimes yeah. um in my home when I grew up it, there was more than just the occasional argument you no know, yeah. there was yelling there was the occasional throwing of an ashtray because I grew up in the 70s and smoking <laughs> was still a really big thing yeah. <laughs> and as a kid it was really scary when the adults were out of control like that and so my limbic system 
remembered that Mm. it stored that information. It reminded my body, how did this feel growing up? And then when my children started doing that in my home, that's what I was re-experiencing. There was this younger part of me who was coming up saying, this is scary. Not safe. Make it stop. Yes. Not safe. Yes. Now, can I parent as the mother, the well-resourced, loving, um, wise mom that I am? Can I parent from that place when I'm triggered in that emotional state? No. Mm. And so then what do we do? Well, yell at the kids. Yeah. Put them in their rooms. Like, you're all going for a timeout. You know, yeah. like very... Uh, this has to stop now, you know, very reactive. So then what happens? Then you lay in bed at night and you now I'm back to myself, my, my more mature prefrontal cortex regulated self. self yeah. Yeah. And what am I doing? I'm laying there beating myself up about it. Yeah. Terrible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. So how do you disrupt that pattern? You bring healing to that part of yourself who experienced it in that way, that younger part of you. And you don't have to um, eject that part of yourself, reject it, suppress it, Mm. avoid it, judge it, blame it, shame it, nothing. You literally can learn with self-compassion and acceptance to say, I see you. I see that that was really hard for you. You're safe now. Yeah. I've got this right? Yes. I, so you can reparent yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Like I said, I got goosebumps when you were sort of saying that, just that realization of that real true connection to yourself to be able to recognize what that was in the moment. But another thing that I've been, that's been coming up a bit for me lately is just this acknowledgement of, you know, these things, like whether it's our ego or whatever we want to call it, these fears, our, our, our body keeping us safe, there's such validity in honoring that as well. So I love what you said about, you know, really meeting that version of you, but also acknowledging how it's protected us. Like it protected us as a child. And it's now going back to what you said about before, you know, it was so protective in that moment. It's now become maladaptive. And now it's that time for me to recognize that. So I, I, I think there's just so much in that for people that is nothing like what we've been taught. No, it really isn't. I mean, that's where the advantage is in doing some kind of a, it could be a group program or working one-on-one with someone, but um, those kinds of insights come more and more easily when you start learning how to access them. Mm. But sometimes there's an unlearning that has to happen first. And we do need to establish that connection again with ourselves and learning to hear from ourselves. So yes, that's exactly it. It's like, and that's what we do through tapping. So because tapping is a, is a combination, you were saying about the physical part of tapping. So this is a fun fact I love to share. There was a decade long study done by Harvard, which they got to be pretty smart people over there oh, at Harvard. Sure. So I'm going to go with those <laughs> go people. With it. Yeah. Yeah. And a decade long study. I mean, there's again, you know, I don't know why they had to study it for so long, but yeah. it's got them. a lot of, yeah, yeah, good for them. Yay. <laughs> Um, but they studied stimulating these acupoints that are on the body, the actual acupoints. And they found that by stimulating these acupoints, which we do by tapping on them mm-hmm. gently, you send a nearly instantaneous signal to your brain that it's safe to be calm and relaxed. So you're really stimulating that relaxation response instead of that fight or flight response, which in my story of my kids fighting, that's the response I was in fight or yes. flight 
very much like triggered amygdala, limbic systems all lit up. And so by tapping physically on the body, even without saying anything, you're mm-hmm. already sending those physical messages to the brain. We also talked about being a disembodied head. And there are, for every one message from your brain to your body, there are nine messages from your body going back to your brain. Mm-hmm. So there's like this really beautiful connection between all of our systems and learning to work with your body instead of ignoring it or even trying to work against your physicality is a really powerful part of tapping as well as other somatic tools. And then also getting to talk. (laughs) So a lot of us are verbal processors. It helps to kind of work things out as you're speaking. Um, And also there's research that shows when you hear something, including hearing yourself say it, it gives you that feedback, that confirmation to the brain. And so when we say out loud, oh, I'm such an idiot, Mm. you know, you're confirming that. yourself Mm -hmm. so what we can say with tapping you might maybe you do feel you know like I feel you know really ashamed about something or I feel really whatever it is if you're judging yourself but you can tap through that because we always tell the truth about how we're feeling and tapping that was my favorite thing Erin that I loved about tapping when I first discovered it I was so conditioned to push down the truth of how I was feeling and what I was thinking so the thinking part I was totally uh, conditioned by toxic positivity in the positive mm. psychology world. So yeah. again, not to say that we should throw, this is something people get wrong about me all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying that we should throw out no. all of the good stuff that comes with positive psychology. Yeah. But I am saying that it's not realistic that you will never have a negative thought. No. Like, hello, have you ever <laughs> had a kid's diaper explode. Like, yeah, yes. <laughs> negative so it's, it's just part of being human that these negative yeah. thoughts come up. But the, the one thing that happens in the positive psychology or the, even the self-help mainstream self-help culture, for sure over here in, uh, in North America, we are obsessed with this idea that you need to think positive or have good vibes only. Yeah. And so when you don't, you feel like maybe you're failing or you're screwing it up or you're manifesting whatever's happening to you It's yeah. your fault because you had that one negative thought or even maybe several negative thoughts. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's irresponsible. If self-help is giving that message, it's irresponsible at best. And at worst, it's extremely toxic. Yeah. Like it's really harmful. So the talk part of tapping, you get to be honest and tell the truth finally about yeah. how you're feeling, <laughs> but what you're thinking. And because you're sending at the same time that you're talking about that, you're not just venting to a friend and re- regurgitating yes. it all. The same oh my gosh. Again I, was again, so, right? I was so guilty of that. Oh, makes me oh, Well, you and me both, right? Like the venting, I'd have to yeah. retell it and retell yes. it and retell it. Because why? I think one of the reasons is because we're trying so hard to be heard, right? There's this part of ourselves that's like, please hear that this was hard for me or that I'm struggling here or that I like listen to this resentment or this, you know, anxiety, whatever is presenting itself. So we keep repeating it because we're trying to work it out. 
Yeah. When you tell the story of how you're thinking or of what you're thinking, how you're feeling while you're tapping on the body, you're calming the brain, the body down, then you start to, it's a super empowering tool, which literally, I mean, I'm not the empowerer as the Mm. practitioner. I'm just the guide. And I mean, yes, there's a powerful part of the guidance process. However, the tool is what empowers you and it gives you access to your power, your insight, your awareness, your acceptance and self-compassion and all of those good things that you have inside of you. So you follow the breadcrumbs and move through the emotion. That's the whole part about feel your feelings. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so tired of hearing people say, feel your feelings, but without actually helping anyone to do that. It's like, yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Really helpful. Yes. Uh, So tapping is a tool that will help you to feel your feelings and then it doesn't leave you in the mess of those feelings, Mm. but you come through them to maybe uh, more clarity about what you really want or where this is really coming from. What is this really about? A lot of insight into the different parts of ourselves. Um, These younger parts of ourselves that they, like you said, they formed out of self-protection and they do have something to say. They just don't need to drive the bus. So I kind of give the example of um, it's like a toddler is in the driver's seat a lot of the time in our lives and you don't let a toddler drive, but they get to come along for the ride. They're just not behind the wheel. The 44 year old Jackie is who's driving. And then if the toddler has something to say, I can say, Hey, sweetie, like, yeah, you're tired right now. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. So you know what? We're going to take a pit stop and have a rest. Mm. I'm the one driving the car and pulling it over, not the toddler. Yes. But, but that analogy is beautiful because it just also says that sometimes we need to pull the car over to the side of the road for a bit of time and let that toddler come out and just do its thing instead of pushing her down and trying, because that's another thing that we know that the more we just push down our emotions, the more we suppress it, they just then get stored in our body and they just keep coming up and up and up. So, yeah. And they literally will make you physically sick. There is research that shows that. So if, if anything else, like if there's nothing else that motivates us, it's I, you know, I want to live a long and healthy life. And so Mm -hmm. this emotional regulation piece is very important to do that. And I want to enjoy that life. Like everybody always tells me when I I say, how do you want to feel? Well, what do you think people would say? Of course, people say happy. Yes. Right. We want to feel happier. And so how do we do that? Well, we do. We have to listen to all of the emotions and make room for all of them. Yeah. And really build trust in ourselves that we can tolerate all of the feelings. Mm. It doesn't mean that I'm like rolling around in bliss with all of my feelings and feeling super Uh, aligned with any of my frustration or discouragement or overwhelm. No, I would definitely prefer not to feel those things. But if I don't allow them to have their voice, yes, they will continue to get louder and louder. And that's what creates problems. Susan David is one of the um, 
leading emotions researchers globally. She wrote a really great book called Emotional Agility. Mm. And uh, I love what she says about emotions. She says emotions are data or data, depending where you are in the world. (laughs) They're data, not directives. So emotions always have information for us. Mm. And if we learn to listen to them, they're incredibly intuitive and insightful. They'll give you so much more information than you're just going to get out of your brain. Um, but they're not directives, meaning they don't drive that, that bus. Yes. Right. So they, you don't have to do what your emotion is telling you to do, yes. but you can listen to it. Yes. Oh, I love that. You know, and we, we are not our thoughts and we are not our emotions. No, they're literally um, going back to the meditation thing. There are the clouds in the sky, right? Mm. You are the sky, mm. your emotions and your thoughts are simply the clouds and you can let them pass, but why not observe them, learn from them, like notice their shape, notice their texture. Are they stormy clouds or are they those beautiful fluffy white clouds that look like cotton balls? Yes. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I, I love, I'm loving this chat. You know, this is the first time you and I have actually met and had a conversation, but I just, I feel like this has been such a beautiful aligned chat that the universe brought us together. Um, I know. I was very excited to get to come on with you. <laughs> um, so, yes, and I, I'm going to start winding us up as much as I know that we could keep talking forever. And people are going to get sick of hearing that on my podcast um, in episodes because I often say it because I genuinely heartfelt mean it. I feel so blessed to be speaking to the people that I'm speaking with and just very grateful that I get to do this in my life and as part of my job. So for anyone who's sick of hearing that, I'm sorry, but you're going to keep hearing it because I just feel very grateful, so much gratitude. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But let us, I would love to ask you one question. And that question is another question, but that question is what truly brings you joy or what's one thing that really brings you joy? Because I'm sure there's many. And when was the last time that you did it? Mm, joy. So there's an emotion that actually is one of the most vulnerable emotions that we feel. So when we feel joy, we feel incredibly vulnerable, uh, which is going to then mean I'm going to give you a different answer than I probably would have given if I hadn't thought about it through that way. So my answer originally, like as soon as you said it, I was going to say hiking with my dog Mm. in the forest. And I do that every day because it really does. And I think it does bring me joy. What's vulnerable about it is it, it can get taken away at any time. Right. So I said, my husband broke his leg. So he hasn't been hiking with us for seven weeks. You know, when we understand that these things do have a finite existence, um, another moment of joy for me is tucking my kids in at night and really just having that moment with them. And what's hard about that is of course I want them to grow up, (laughs) <laughs> but each version of them is so like, it's so fleeting, mm. right? Like they're only 10 and 12 once. And these, my little people are quickly becoming little adults almost like yeah. my son is almost as tall as I am at this point. So, so yes, those moments of joy, I think you mentioned mindfulness, which is one of the three components of self-compassion And mindfulness is a way that I can stay in joy. It's like noticing it, noticing how vulnerable it feels, right? And then still being present in it Mm. for however long it lasts. Oh, I love that. I got goosebumps again, which is my Mm. like little intuition kind of (laughs) 
<laughs> things just feeling right and beautiful and perfect. I love that. That's just, yeah, beautiful. So we have spoken about a lot of things in a relatively short period of time. Obviously, you know, the main thing we've spoken about is is tapping and we've spoken about what it is briefly, how it can help us in our lives and the benefits of it. But obviously there's so much more to it than what we've covered today. Particularly, we didn't go so much into the practical kind of how-to of it. So I'd love for you to share with us how people can get in contact with you, how they can connect with you online and maybe find out a little bit more about the practical side and to give it a go themselves for sure okay so the easiest thing to do is go to my website it's jackieacre.com it'll be linked in the show notes i'm sure so go there um you can download a free tapping session there that's only 10 minutes which was very intentional because A lot of times we don't feel like we do have very many minutes to give to our own oxygen mask, right? It's like, I got to get in and get out. Like how fast can I do this? And so it's, I actually created the session to help you start your day calm, clear, and grounded is what I called it. And the reason is because I actually used to wake up pretty anxious every Mm. single morning. That was the emotional state I woke up with Mm. that little bit of like, in the tummy, um, you know, a little bit of tension or sometimes a lot in my shoulders, which is where I really carry my tension. Mm. And it was like this physical resistance to what the day looked like. And you guys, I had a great life and still do. But, you know, like I had everything. There's no reason I'm using very big quotation marks. There was no reason for me to have that anxiety except for all the little T trauma that had conditioned my nervous system to always be hypervigilant on alert all the time. Um, And in in addition to that, you know, the fact that sometimes life is really stressful, Mm. even when it's good. Yeah. Don't know if anyone's heard of something called a pandemic, but (laughs) (laughs) there's that. Um, Yeah. In addition to like economic upheaval and other global events, I mean, I can't even get started on the state of the world and I immediately feel that stress response. So the Mm. session can be done at any time. It does not need to be done first thing in the morning. However, I did create it with that in mind, whether you want to use it as preventative maintenance so that you just continue, you know, it's just like eating your vegetables, drinking your water. It's like conditioning yourself to feel safe, letting your body know what it feels like to be in that calm state. Mm. Or if you are maybe like me and and how I used to be and waking up in that more hypervigilant activated stress state, it'll help either way. So you can grab that session so that you get the experience of tapping. If you want more of the explanation, keep following me. You're never going to run out of that, but unless the tool, like you need to put meat on the bones of the tool, right? So if it's, if you're not using it or if it's not working for you, then who cares if you understand it or not, right? It it needs to become part of your lived experience for it to have meaning. So yeah, go there, try the session. If you love it, stick with me on my email list. I don't know why, but for some reason, people always tell me they love my emails. Oh, well, that's (laughs) beautiful feedback. It's probably because I type like I talk. So if you want funny stories about rage tapping in a bathroom (laughs) stall, if you want to hear about the bunny soap opera that we had recently in our house, like you'll get on my email list. I'll tell you some funny stories and I'll marry that with really helpful tips for self-compassion and emotional regulation and 
stress resilience. So I would definitely love to connect with people over there for sure. Love it. Well, I'll have to get myself on that mailing list too, because that sounds exactly like what I need in my life. Um, I, <laughs> I, I love I love the fact that it's a short, you know, 10 minutes to get started with too, because I think when trying to form new habits or committing to new things that we, we are experimenting with to kind of make positive change, you know, being able to ask yourself the question, can I, can I spare 10 minutes? And the answer is yes, of course, you can spare 10 minutes in your day. So I think that short, sharp, getting into it, getting a feel for it is a beautiful way to start experimenting with something to get a feel for whether it's going to be something that's going to work for you. So. Yeah. And especially noticing um, that what we tend to do when we're feeling stressed is some kind of an avoidant behavior. It's mm. that flight part of our stress response uh, or numbing. We try to numb. So if you find yourself like scrolling social media or, um, I'll give you guys a little, a funny little (laughs) confession. I, when I'm procrastinating, I pluck my chin hairs. (laughs) So that has never been told on a podcast. I'm feeling a little Tell me you're perimenopausal without telling me you're perimenopausal. Well, that's one of those things that starts happening around 35 in my experience. One of those beautiful things that no one tells you about probably. Are they beautiful though, really? I know, beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) The the irony of your mind becoming clearer and becoming more in touch with yourself and your body starting to break down at the same time. (laughs) It's like if my body could put the same amount of energy energy into oh, a million other op- options instead of growing chin hairs I would <laughs> I'd be a different human by now but my just point like- in all of that is to say <laughs> that we, when you're saying like we have those 10 minutes it's yeah. noticing and again I really want to invite everyone only notice and observe with no judgment like detach yes. from any judgment and I yes. know that we're conditioned something you will hear me say ad nauseum. I say it all the time is if being hard on ourselves worked, it would have worked by now. Yeah. It does not work. We don't have time to get into why today, but it doesn't work. And so all I'm inviting you to do is just notice when you're going towards those patterns of either procrastination or numbing type behaviors, like avoidant behaviors, maybe that would be a good opportunity to say, Hey, Jackie talked about that session. I'm going to go try that because it really is only 10 minutes and it will help you to access that powerful and present version of yourself who Mm. is there. You just need to get reacquainted with who they are. So um, I do hope that people will take up that opportunity. And I really am so grateful that you've had me on here. Our conversation has been such a joy, speaking of joy. So thank you so much for the invitation, Erin. Oh, I feel absolutely 100% the same. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, we, I love to have you here. I hope that you enjoyed that chat that was just felt like it was witnessing two 40-something women having an amazing chat about amazing things. Um, Thank you again, Jackie. It really has been such a joy. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please reach out to both Jackie and I to let us know what you think about the episode. Make sure you follow. Get onto that tapping. I am going to go try it out for myself as well, and I will catch you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.